Chapter Thirteen of the Kipling Reader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Ann Weathers. The Kipling Reader by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter Thirteen. Todd's Amendment. The world hath set its heavy yoke upon the old white-bearded folk who strive to please the king. God's mercy is upon the young, God's wisdom in the baby tongue that fears not anything. The Parable of Chaju Bagat Now Tod's mamma was a singularly charming woman, and everyone in Simla knew Tod's. Most men had saved him from death on occasions. He was beyond his ayah's control altogether and periled his life daily to find out what would happen if you pulled a mountain battery mule's tail. He was an utterly fearless young pagan, about six years old, and the only baby who ever broke the holy calm of the Supreme Legislative Council. It happened in this way. Todd's pet kid got loose and fled up the hill off the Bouligong Road, Todd's after it, until it burst into the Viceregal Lodge lawn, then attached to Peterhoff. The council were sitting at the time, and the windows were open because it was warm. The Red Lancer on the porch told Todd's to go away, but Todd's knew the Red Lancer and most of the members of the council personally. Moreover, he had a firm hold of the kid's collar and was being dragged all across the flower beds. Give my salam to the long councillor Sahib, and ask him to help me take Moti back, gasped Todd's. The council heard the noise through the open windows and after an interval was seen the shocking spectacle of a legal member and a lieutenant-governor helping under the direct patronage of a commander-in-chief and a viceroy one small and very dirty boy in a sailor suit and a tangle of brown hair to coerce a lively and rebellious kid they headed it off down the path to the mall and todds went home in triumph and told his mamma that all the councillor sahibs had been helping him to catch moti whereat his mamma smacked Todd's for interfering with the administration of the empire. But Todd's met the legal member the next day, and told him in confidence that if the legal member ever wanted to catch a goat, he, Todd's, would give him all the help in his power. "'Thank you, Todd's,' said the legal member. Todd's was the idol of some eighty Jampanis and half as many Saises. He saluted them all as, O oh, brother!' It never entered his head that any living human being could disobey his orders. And he was the buffer between the servants and his mamma's wrath. The working of that household turned on Todd's, who was adored by everyone from the doby to the dog-boy. Even Futa Khan, the villainous loafer Kit from Musuri, shirked risking Todd's displeasure for fear his co-mates should look down on him. So Todd's had honor in the land from Bulagang to Chota Simla and ruled justly according to his lights. Of course, he spoke Urdu, but he had also mastered many queer side-speeches, such as the Choti Boli of the women, and held grave converse with shopkeepers and hill coolies alike. He was precocious for his age, and his mixing with natives had taught him some of the more bitter truths of life, the meanness and the sordidness of it. He used, over his bread and milk, to deliver solemn and serious aphorisms translated from the vernacular into the English, that made his mamma jump, and vowed that Todd's must go home next hot weather. Just when Todd's was in the bloom of his power, 
the Supreme Legislature were hacking out a bill for the submontane tracts, a revision of the then Act, smaller than the Punjab land bill, but affecting a few hundred thousand people nonetheless. The legal member had built and bolstered and embroidered and amended that bill till it looked beautiful on paper. Then the council began to settle what they called the minor details, as if any Englishman legislating for natives knows enough to know which are the minor and which are the major points from the native point of view of any measure. That bill was a triumph of safeguarding the interests of the tenant. One clause provided that land should not be leased on longer terms than five years at a stretch, because if the landlord had a tenant bound down for, say, twenty years, he would squeeze the very life out of him. The notion was to keep up a stream of independent cultivators in the submontane tracts, and ethnologically and politically the notion was correct. The only drawback was that it was altogether wrong. A native's life in India implies the life of his son, wherefore you cannot legislate for one generation at a time. You must consider the next from the native point of view. Curiously enough, the native now and then, and in northern India most particularly, hates being overprotected against himself. There was a Naga village once where they lived on dead and buried commissariat mules, but that is another story. For many reasons, to be explained later, the people concerned objected to the bill. The native member in council knew as much about Punjabis as he knew about Caring Cross. He had said in Calcutta that the bill was entirely in accord with the desires of that large and important class, the cultivators, and so on and so on. The legal member's knowledge of natives was limited to English-speaking Durbaris and his own red chaprasis. The submontane tracts concerned no one in particular, the deputy commissioners were a good deal too driven to make representations, and the measure was one which dealt with small landholders only. Nevertheless, the legal member prayed that it might be correct, for he was a nervously conscientious man. He did not know that no man can tell what natives think unless he mixes with them with the varnish off, and not always then. But he did the best he knew, and the measure came up to the Supreme Council for the final touches, while Todds patrolled the Bura Simla Bazaar in his morning rides, and played with the monkey belonging to Ditamul, the Buniya and listened as a child listens to all the stray talk about this new freak of the Lord Sahib's. One day there was a dinner-party at the house of Todd's mamma, and the legal member came. Todd's was in bed, but he kept awake till he heard the bursts of laughter from the men over the coffee. Then he paddled out in his little red flannel dressing-gown and his night-suit, and took refuge by the side of his father, knowing that he would not be sent back. "'See the miseries of having a family!' said Todd's father, giving Todd's three prunes, some water in a glass that had been used for claret, and telling him to sit still. Todd's sucked the prunes slowly, knowing that he would have to go when they were finished, and sipped the pink water like a man of the world as he listened to the conversation. Presently the legal member, talking shop to the head of a department, mentioned his bill by its full name, the Submontane Tracts Riotwari Revised Enactment. Todd's caught the one native word, and lifting up his small voice, said, "'Oh, I know all about that. Has it been muramutted yet, Councillor Sahib?' "'How much?' said the legal member. "'Muramutted? Mended. Put thick, you know. 
made nice to please Dita Mull. The legal member left his place and moved up next to Todd's. "'What do you know about Ryatwari, little man?' he said. "'I'm not a little man. I'm Todd's, and I know all about it. Dita Mool and Shogalal and Amir Nath and old Lux of my friends tell me about it in the bazaars when I talk to them.' "'Oh, they do, do they? What do they say, Todd's?' Todd's tucked his feet under his red flannel dressing gown and said, "'I must think.' The legal member waited patiently. Then Todd's, with infinite compassion, "'You don't speak my talk, do you, Councillor Sahib?' "'No, I am sorry to say I do not,' said the legal member. "'Very well,' said Todd's. "'I must think in English.' He spent a minute putting his ideas in order and began very slowly translating in his mind from the vernacular to English, as many Anglo-Indian children do. You must remember that the legal member helped him on by questions when he halted, for Todd's was not equal to the sustained flight of oratory that follows. Dita Moore says, This thing is the talk of a child, and was made up by fools. But I don't think you are a fool, Councillor Sahib, said Todd's hastily. You caught my goat. This is what Dito Mool says. I am not a fool, and why should the Siakar say I am a child? I can see if the land is good and if the landlord is good. If I am a fool, the sin is upon my own head. For five years I take my ground for which I have saved money, and a wife I take too, and a little son is born. Dito Mool has one daughter now, but he says he will have a son soon. And he says... At the end of five years, by this new bundabust, I must go. If I do not go, I must get fresh seals and taku stamps on the papers, perhaps in the middle of the harvest. And to go to the law courts once is wisdom, but to go twice is jehanum. That is quite true, explained Todds gravely. All my friends say so. And Dita Mool says, always fresh takus, and paying money to vakils and chaprasis and law courts every five years, or else the landlord makes me go. Why do I want to go? Am I a fool? If I am a fool, and do not know after forty years good land when I see it, let me die. But if the new bundabust says fifteen years, that is good and wise. My little son is a man, and I am burnt, and he takes the ground, or another ground, paying only once for the taku stamps on the papers, and his little son is born, and at the end of fifteen years is a man too. But what profit is there in five years and fresh papers? Nothing but deek, trouble, deek. We are not young men who take these lands, but old ones, not farmers, but tradesmen with a little money, and for fifteen years we shall have peace. Nor are we children that the Siakar should treat us so. Here Todd's stopped short, for the whole table were listening. The legal member said to Todd's, Is that all? All I can remember, said Todd's, but you should see Dita Moore's big monkey. It's just like a counselor sahib. Todd's, go to bed, said his father. Todd's gathered up his dressing gown tail and departed. The legal member brought his hand down on the table with a crash. "'By Jove!' said the legal member. "'I believe the boy is right. "'The short tenure is the weak point.' He left early, thinking over what Todd's had said. 
Now, it was obviously impossible for the legal member to play with a Bunia's monkey by way of getting understanding, but he did better. He made inquiries, always bearing in mind the fact that the real native, not the hybrid university-trained mule, is as timid as a colt, and little by little he coaxed some of the men whom the measure concerned most intimately to give in their views, which squared very closely with Todd's evidence. So the bill was amended in that clause, and the legal member was filled with an uneasy suspicion that native members represent very little except the orders they carry on their bosoms. But he put the thought from him as illiberal. He was a most liberal man. After a time the news spread through the bazaars that Todd's had got the bill recast in the tenure clause, and if Todd's mamma had not interfered, Todd's would have made himself sick on the baskets of fruit and pistachio nuts and kabuli grapes and almonds that crowded the veranda. Till he went home, Todd's ranked some few degrees before the viceroy in popular estimation, but for the little life of him Todd's could not understand why. In the legal member's private paper box still lies the rough draft of the Submontane Tract's Riotwari Revised Enactment, and opposite the twenty-second clause, penciled in blue chalk, and signed by the legal member, are the words, Todd's Amendment. End of chapter 13 Recording by Mary Ann Weathers